The, uh, the Holy Spirit and, and the lectionary, I, I think, uh, has had us working through a selection of, um, or a section of 1 Corinthians over the last several weeks. We started in 1 Corinthians 12 and we spent a couple of weeks there. Last week we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which uh, we often call the love chapter, and we talked uh, a little bit about what that means. Uh, This week we are moving to 1 Corinthians 15. So we go 13 to 15, and you may stop and ask, what about 14? Why aren't we stopping at 14? Isn't it important? And yes, it is. I would encourage you to go back and read uh, 1 Corinthians 14 uh, this afternoon or during the week. Uh, Paul gives guidance in chapter 14 for the Corinthians in shaping their time of worship uh, to honor different gifts, to have some some order to the way that they are gathering and worshiping, uh, but not to get so distracted by one person's gift or placing too much value on the one, Uh, one person or one gift. Uh, There are principles that we can carry over today, although uh, Paul is specifically addressing some situations and some circumstances that were happening in Corinth, and so there's there's some stuff that we need to take out of that, uh, we need to read, but we also need to evaluate what was happening there in uh, Corinth. A few of the verses in 1 Corinthians 14 have been used over the years to silence parts of the church, particularly women. Uh, because of some, um, shall we say, poor hermeneutics or poor interpretation. Um, I'll leave that up to your reading uh, and and interpreting uh, this afternoon or this week. And if you'd like to discuss that more, uh, my office is open. Uh, Give me a text, give me an email. Uh, Let's let's talk a little bit more about that. Uh, But for the time being, we're going to skip over chapter 14 and focus in on this passage uh, from 1 Corinthians 15. As we do that together, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing to you. Holy Spirit, would you be moving in this time, in this place? We ask it in the name of Jesus, amen. So I want to start this morning by asking you to pull out your Bible or the Pew Bible or your Bible app. Uh, Phyllis, if we could go back to our scripture reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to read it again, and I want you to listen, I want you to hear, and uh, think about what questions come to mind as I'm reading this passage, or uh, what makes you wonder in this passage. What questions come to mind, and what makes you wonder from 1 Corinthians 15? Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. 
Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they who we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. What questions come to mind? What what do you wonder about in that passage? You can speak it out loud. When did Cephas' name become Peter? Well, we get that story, um, and bad pastor, I'll have to look up the uh, scripture uh, of when that happens. <clears throat> but Cephas is kind of the Aramaic version of Peter. Now, uh, interesting why uh, Paul chooses to call him Cephas there and not Peter. I'm not exactly sure why he does that, um, but it is, it is interesting. What other questions? I may not have an answer. I may not have a response. What makes you wonder? What do you wonder about in there? Is the order uh, of, of who he appeared to. Is, is Paul kind of saying this order is important there? Yeah, I don't know. Seems to be a chronological order. Is there more to it? I encourage you to take that passage home, to sit with it, to think what other questions, what else makes you wonder. Um, I'd love to, to hear those questions, those ponderings uh, throughout the week, or you share that with one another. Um, that's good stuff that we continue to let God's Word just kind of sweep over us and, and soak it in. A little bit of what's happening in this context and a little bit of where we've been in the last couple of weeks. 1 Corinthians 12 has talked about everyone has gifts and all those gifts are important. There are parts of the body is what Paul talks about um, and he talks how the church is the body of Christ. Then in chapter 13, if you have the best gifts and you can do all kinds of great things with your faith but you're not motivated by love, it means nothing is what Paul talks about it. It's a, it's a loud, clanging, annoying symbol. Um, and we talked about how love is, is not just a, a feeling, an emotion, but those adjectives in our translation of love are really verbs in the Greek. And so love is something that you do. Love is a way that you act. Love is the way you treat those around you. Love is, is the way we treat one another as the body of Christ. Then in chapter 14, uh, which I invite you again to, to look at uh, at another time, our individual gifts are intended to, a phrase that keeps popping up throughout chapter 14 is to build up. What builds up the body? What builds up uh, our faith? What builds up our, our unity in Christ? How do these things build up the body? Again, Paul addresses specific concerns of the Corinthians and their use of gifts within their worship gathering. 
Paul then begins to kind of turn the page in chapter 15 when he says, now I would remind you of the story. I would remind you of the event. I would remind you of the truths that hold you together. Again, we've talked about how there were all kinds of differences that could threaten to split up the Corinthian church. All kinds of ways that they were um, at, could be at odds with one another. Greek, uh, Jew, um, rich, poor, slave, free, uh, those with this set of gifts and those with that set of gifts. All these reasons why people could be separated. But Paul wants to remind them of the story that holds them together. Remember, uh, Paul says, remember the gospel I gospeled to you. It's bad English, but it's good Greek. It's good how Paul writes it. It's the gospel I gospeled to you. Okay? He reminds them of the story. In verse 3, he says, For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received. And so Paul had received the good news story from others. Other apostles, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, play an important role in, in Paul's life and helping him mature in his faith. Um, and so others had handed on this story to him. Saul, if you remember before he became Paul, um, knew his uh, Hebrew Bible, his Torah and, and the writings and the prophets inside and out. But when he met the resurrected Savior, when he met Jesus, he needed others to help explain this story to him, to, to tell him what had happened, to, to share the events. And so this was a, a, a gospel, a message, a good news story that needed to be passed on to Paul. And now Paul has passed on the good news story to the Corinthians, and Paul wants the Corinthians to pass on the good news story to others. <clears throat> Let me ask another question. Who has passed on the gospel or passed on the faith to you? Who's gospeled the gospel to you? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come down and if you have someone that's shared, that's passed on the faith to you, I, I'd love you to just share their name, share a little bit real quick here. A co-worker shared her and her husband's experience in coming to know the Lord after my mother died. And I was so, so sad and bereft. And she gave me a book to read called The Late Great Planet Earth. In the course of reading that book, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I had two wonderful grandparents who, whose lives, they grew up in this church, uh, whose lives just, I don't know, I, I wanted to emulate their lives and miss them. Yeah. Sometimes that story is one that we are sharing, that the, the actual story, and sometimes it's just the way we're living and embodying that good news. Anyone else? 
Think about that. Think about the people that have gospeled the gospel to you. Let me ask another question, and we can just you can shout it out here. Uh, what kinds of things, what kinds of stories would you hope to pass on to others? Maybe the next generation, maybe other friends, family, co-workers, fellow students. What kinds of things would you want to pass on about your faith? To trust the Lord. Say that again. Hope, hope in Jesus. Ways, practical examples of ways that Jesus has made a difference in your own life. Yeah, those are important stories to share. Let me turn the question here for, for just a second. What kinds of things do you hope you aren't passing on to others or the next generation? Selfishness. Say, say that one again. Being negative. Being negative. Impatience. Pride. Pride. Say that one again. Hatred. Hatred. Yeah. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Yeah. Bitterness, all right. Sharing, sharing good examples, I, I hope we continue to, to think about that and wrestle with that. Well, Paul kind of begins to summarize uh, his, the, the gospel that he has gospeled to the Corinthians. He says, Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. Uh, he doesn't lay out his, his list of Scriptures that he's citing. He may be citing Isaiah 53, which is about the suffering servant, um, God's servant who is going to have to go through all kinds of stuff and, and bear the weight, bear the, the guilt uh, of the community. Um, so he might be referencing Isaiah 53. Uh, Paul may be recalling the story of Abraham offering Jacob for sacrifice. This is an important test that happens in Genesis. And, and Abraham is asked to, to sacrifice his son, his only son. And yet God ends up intervening in that situation. But he may be referencing that story. So there's this pattern in the biblical narrative of blessing coming through sacrifice. And this might be the theme that Paul is tapping into. And then Paul says that Jesus was buried. He died on the cross. He was buried. Paul wants us to know it was certified. The Romans checked it out. They stabbed him. They made sure he was dead as dead gets. He was buried in the tomb. And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. Again, uh, Paul may be recalling Hosea chapter 6, or he may be recalling the, the story of Jonah. 
bodily resurrection, being raised in the flesh, was not a popular idea, especially with the Greeks. And Corinth was a very Greek city. And so they didn't like to hear about a God being brought back to physical body embodied life. Their philosophers taught that matter was evil and decaying and that spirit was pure and eternal. Early Christians kind of in some places grabbed on to this uh, idea and it was the church said this is a heresy this is something at odds with uh, the the story we know to be true it was called Gnosticism which tried to teach the the very same thing and suppose that Jesus had only spiritually been raised because that was the good eternal part of him um, the, so the spirit was raised but the body that was just done away with Unfortunately, it's been something that sometimes in the modern uh, church we've also carried on, that when I die, my spirit goes to heaven, and that's the end of the story. There's no more to it. But Paul emphasizes, along with other New Testament writers, that this is not what is happening with the resurrection of Jesus, that the tomb is empty. There is nothing there. There's no leftover corruptible body, but Jesus was raised to new life. This is an important part of the gospel that Paul gospels to the Corinthians. Moreover, spiritual resurrection is not the end of the story for humanity or for creation, but whole body resurrection. Paul then says that... Jesus appeared to a series of witnesses, to to Cephas or Peter, and then to the other apostles. More than 500 people, some of whom, uh, Paul says, were still living at the time that he's writing to the Corinthians. And lastly, to Paul, which Paul thinks is pretty amazing given his own story. Given the fact that he had been persecuting this church, persecuting the followers of Jesus, Paul thinks it's pretty amazing that God's grace has been extended to him as one, he says, untimely born. Uh, That's kind of a weird phrase. Um, One who was set out to be destroyed. One that was uh, planned to be aborted. One that was uh, not coming at the right time. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. What's grace? Unmerited favor. favor. Any other ideas, thoughts about what grace is? Grace is a gift by God. Grace is a gift by God. Glenn, grace means gift. In the Greek, charis is grace and gift. Any other thoughts, ideas about what grace is? I love you in spite of yourself. I, oh, I love you in spite of yourself. Oh. Preach, Pastor Jack. <laughs> Yeah. And Paul says that this grace, this gift towards me has not been in vain. God's gift hasn't been for nothing. It says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, talking about the, the apostles or the witnesses. 
though it was not I, but the gift or the grace of God that is in me. See, a gift in the ancient world was, was given, uh, and some kind of reciprocal response was expected. When you were given a gift, there was some action or some response or some gift that was expected in return. And so in this gift of God, this grace of God extended, something is expected in return. And Paul says that he has been working hard because of this grace. In response to God's gift, Paul is working hard so that others may also come to know this gift, may come to know this grace. But notice that Paul isn't working to get the gift or to earn the gift. The gift has already been given. The grace has already been extended. And Paul's reciprocal attempt, response, is to work hard so that others may come to know this gift, may come to know this grace. And Paul knows, at least the way he's expressing it, he knows great grace has been extended to him because he was a persecutor of the church. One untimely born. God has poured out His grace into Paul's life and Paul is working so hard so that others may come to know that grace and that love and, and, and hear that good news. I know grace has been extended in my life. Sure, each of us could stop and think about what God's gift has meant in each of our own lives. What's our response to that good news story? What's our response to that, that gospel, to that gift, to that grace? Paul then says, whether it was I or they, so we proclaim and you have come to believe. This is the story that brings the Corinthians together. This is the story that is so important to their life, to their faith, to their ministry. Folks, this is the story that's so important to our life, to our story. It's been handed down to Paul and now handed on to the Corinthians. And it's expected that they are beneficiaries of God's grace, of God's gift, his, the chorus. And that they will co-labor with Paul and others to continue to gospel the gospel. Paul hands this on to them. It's been handed on to Paul. Paul hands it on to the Corinthians. He expects that they will continue to share this gift, to share this story, that they will continue to gospel the gospel to others. A couple of weeks ago, Jameson turned 10. One of the gifts that he was given, he was handed down a, uh, a pocket knife from my grandpa Hartong. Grandpa always had a, a pocket knife on him and he cut everything. With that, you know, whether he was working on the, the tractor, cutting an apple, same pocket knife. Um, but there was, when, when Grandpa was getting older, he passed on a whole bunch of uh, pocket knives to the, to the grandchildren. So we've got a, a couple of those uh, that we have. 
And we passed on this tool to Jameson so he can learn how to use it. A little bit cautiously, we passed it on to him. Um, Passing on knowledge, but also passing on stories and thoughts of who Grandpa was and the impact that he had on, on my life. When I spend time in the garden or, or planning out my garden, Grandpa comes to mind. Grandpa always had a garden. When I was processing chickens last year, Grandpa came to mind, and I could picture him laughing hysterically, uh, uh, tears coming down his cheeks. And so I handed down the knife in order to tell the stories and share experiences that are important to me and that I want to help shape Jameson's life. So we pass it on. I know, uh, Miss Kara, you've been uh, sharing some stories of our faith with our uh, kids in the last couple of weeks, and so we've had some interesting uh, dinner conversations about John Noss and John Klein and Brother Beam, and uh, I'll catch up with uh, who, who we talked about this week. Um, that reminds us of our faith in action. Stories that that remind us of people standing up for what they believe in. Stories of John Klein that remind us of seeing a church through times of division and turmoil and when, when a country is being ripped apart and his efforts to keep the church together. Sound familiar? John Noss, uh, who reminds us uh, which prince and which kingdom we are called to serve. These are important stories to us in our faith in the Church of the Brethren, and we want others to hear and learn of these stories. But this morning I want to remind us that there is no story more important No story that saves. The only story that makes these other stories possible is the good news story of Jesus. And it's this story that we want to gospel to others. It's this story, an event that shapes our lives and shapes our world because we believe that Jesus lived We believe that Jesus died according to Scripture. We believe that He was dead and buried. And we believe He was raised on the third day according to Scripture. We believe He was seen and experienced in the flesh. Thomas could reach out and put his hand on Jesus' hand. Feel the wounds. And we believe this story has massive implications for our lives, for the life of the world around us. And we believe God's gift leads to wholeness and healing because of Jesus. This story, this gospel that we gospel is so important. And so here's the crux. Here's where it, where it comes for us. To whom are you gospeling the gospel? To whom are you sent? As you have received and experienced the gift of God in Christ Jesus, who around you is in need of that gift, in need of that grace, in need of that gospel story? said earlier, we gospel the gospel in word, in deed. We love in action, and we share the good news story of Jesus. 
In a few moments, we're going to be sent out. Part of the New Testament understanding of church is that we are sent out ones. Sent to to go and to to live, to, to enact that love, to gospel that gospel to embody uh, uh, the kingdom of God. We are sent as people who have experienced and continue to experience the grace or the gift of God in Christ. And so our response to that gift, to that grace, is that we continue to hand on what has been passed down to us. This morning, if you're still not sure about the, what kind of good news this story is for you, and, or if you've not acknowledged the truth of this story and made Jesus Lord of your life, then let's talk. Um, talk following the service, shoot me an email, um, let's get together and have a conversation about that. We can get together and we can gospel the gospel to one another.